done. And a few days after they've crossed the Red Sea, and they've seen God's might at work, I mean, who else opens up water for you to walk through on dry land? One month, and within that month, a few days since they've sung how good God is, and how God is going to save them and, and lead them into the promised land. You remember last week, that song of celebration. And three days later, it's just, we're thirsty. We're thirsty, Moses. Oh, that's a good thing I'm not God, because I think I would have smitten them. God gave them water at Mara. And then a few days later, they went to Elam. They enjoyed refreshment there in a time of relaxation. Now, Elam is described there at the end of chapter 15. Sounds like a fantastic place. Twelve springs, enough water for everyone. Seventy palm trees. There's food, there's shade, shelter. They could have stayed there a long time and been very happy. And yet God says to them, leave and go out. And almost immediately they start getting hungry bellies. And they start complaining. Why didn't God let them stay at the oasis of Elam a little bit longer? I mean, they would have loved it, wouldn't they? Just, just that time to relax and chill out and get your energy back. And why didn't God leave them at Elam for a little longer? Well, surely it's because God was taking them somewhere. God had a plan and a purpose in mind for them. And maybe, can I suggest, it's also because God knew that they still needed some refining and testing and trialing and, and learning to know who God is. And you know, as I look at, at the Christian life today, we have our moments at Mara when we grumble and complain. And then wonderfully, amazingly, miraculously, we have our times at Elam, where we have times of refreshing and, and comfort, and it's just so nice, and, and God is so good, and He's provided all that we need, and, and it's joy and happiness. And we just want to stay there where it's nice and comfortable. And yet, like the Israelites, God says, no, you're not home yet. You've got to move out. Don't get too comfortable. In fact, I'm going to call you out on the journey. It's going to be a hard journey. Because I want you to rely on me. See, that, that's what the Exodus journey is about in many respects. It's about the Israelites coming to rely on God. 
And isn't that the journey of our Christian lives as well? It's a journey of coming to rely on God. And I can put my hand up and say that when I'm in the comfortable place where everything is going well, I don't need to rely on God. I so quickly forget. I mean, look at, look at the Israelites. They've been at Elam for just a few days, a little while. And what is it? Three days later, they set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin. They arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. Just, just a few days after leaving Elam, what do they do? They start complaining. And not just complaining, they say, we think God is out to get us because we're not comfortable anymore. How quickly do they forget the water at Mara? The Egyptians at the Red Sea, the plagues of Egypt. How quickly do we not forget that God is in charge and looks after us? And they complained against Moses and Aaron. And their complaint is absolute nonsense. One, a slave doesn't get much meat to eat. Two, a slave is a slave. You see what they've done there? Oh, Moses, we used to sit around the fire all day eating lots of meat and it was fantastic. When in reality they probably woke up before sunrise, went to work, weren't paid anything really, and, and then maybe scraped together some bread. Well, what have they done? They've, they've forgotten all the nasty things and they've remembered, oh, it's got to be better than this. Moses gets the brunt of it, but in reality it's not Moses that they're complaining about, it's God that they're complaining about. In reality, what they're saying is, God, we think you suck. Because, God, you should be looking out for me. And if I'm not happy, then I question you, God. That's what they're doing. I get very irritated with uh, tele-evangelists who speak about, oh, if you want to be happy, you just need Jesus. Oh, sure, you, you're going to know joy like there's no tomorrow if you know Jesus, but you might not be very happy. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head, said Jesus. They grumbled against God. Just a show of hands, who would smite them? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, some people who, who haven't really read through the Old Testament look at it and say, the Old Testament God is just such an angry God, smiting here and smiting there. And, and yeah, God is a jealous God. But you know what we see here? Here are people turning to God and saying, God, we think you are a liar and just out to get at us. And what does God do? God turns around and says, 
Okay, I'll give you some food. God gives them food for their grumbling. And in fact, God does more than that because in verse 10, in verse 7, 8, 9, 10, as Aaron is speaking to the people and saying, hey, remember you're complaining against God. Do you remember him, the one who rescued you, the one who did all that stuff in the past, you know? And they looked out to the wilderness and in the cloud that was leading them, they saw the glory of God. God, we've got no time for you. See my glory and my grace. Look to me. And see me provide for you. And they get quails, and it seems like quails isn't an everyday thing, but but the manna is every single day. Uh, it's a wonderful word. Manha literally means what is it? <laughs> what is it? And there's some people who say, Oh, it's this insect's extrusions or something from a sap regardless of whether it was naturally occurring or not, it's supernatural because it happened for 40 years in season, out of season. This is bread from God. Absolutely miraculous. And all they have to do is get up in the morning for the heat of the day and gather it up. Not keep any until the next day. Not hoard it for themselves, but share it amongst each other. There was enough for them all. Why not gather a bit extra? Doesn't it make sense to, you know, you know, be, be clever and set some aside for tomorrow? And, and I mean, just just use what you got and, and plan ahead. It's the, it's the right thing to do. It's the smart thing to do, isn't it? And God says, gather some for today. And the people say, you know what? Uh, that's a good idea, God. But it might be a better idea to gather some more for tomorrow as well. Then I can sleep in for a bit longer. Isn't that a good idea? And it stinks. And you'd know everyone who disobeyed God because their tent would smell. Why every day? Trust. Because God was saying to his people, you know what? Actually, you need me every day. Actually, what, what you need to realize is that my grace, you need me every day. Actually, what you need to realize is that you, as a people of Israel, this mighty nation, Grumbling in the desert, you need me all the time. You cannot survive without me. Your cleverness of putting some aside for tomorrow. Don't be stupid. You need me. And what did Jesus say? 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, God, we need you every day. We need your grace every day. Quite frankly, we can't survive without you. And the Israelites go and say, we think we're out here to die because they, they were guided by their stomachs, by their present experiences. And they let, they let what was in front of them at the moment, their present circumstances, cloud their vision of God. And it's so tempting for us to let our present circumstances cloud our vision of God. When He has promised to look after us. What did Jesus say? Don't worry about tomorrow. Consider the lilies of the field. They've got all the dress they need. And they're beautiful. This is the Nicholas authorized version, by the way. Consider the birds. Are not two sold for a penny? Your father knows about it, and he knows you. And he loves you so much more. Now, the point I'm trying to make is not, don't grumble. By the way, don't grumble. But, but the point is, is bigger than that. You see, for the Israelites, this was hostile country. It's a desert. It's not a place where you're supposed to live. Maybe at a spring, but, but this was hostile country. And they were blinded by that hostility to God. But what God is saying to his people and saying to us is that no matter where we are, no matter how hostile it seems, no matter how certain it is that God is not in control, God is in control. It's God's world. In a desert, he brings bread every day. Or oh, bread, stuff. Whatever it is, what is it, I don't know. And he led them. And he provided for them. And he was gracious to them. Because they were going home to him. It's exactly the same for us. This world is hostile country. And sometimes our circumstances lead us to a place where we feel that we just, there is no hope. God's message against that is, well, I am God. <laughs> Look to me. What grace to give when we grumble. So Moses said, via God, said, okay, you got this food, you're going to take as much as you need. Um, only one, one, one condition here 
enough for today. Um, why? Verse 4. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to rain down food from heaven each day. Pick up as much as you need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. Instruction, don't keep any until tomorrow. And yet some people were lazy and they did. Instruction, on day number six, collect twice as much because tomorrow is the Sabbath day and you will rest. And miraculously it doesn't stink and it's fine. But do you know what, what, what I find intriguing? Those who decided to go out collecting on the Sabbath day, what was their sin? What was their fault? Can anyone tell me? Disobedience, but what, what, why? What did they do? They didn't buy instructions. They were greedy. But what I'm getting at is that they weren't wrong for collecting manna. They were wrong for trying to collect manna because there was no manna to collect. <laughs> and and I, I, the point I'm trying to make is, God says, this is my Sabbath as well. I'm not giving you food on the seventh day. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to trust me? And some say, no, we're not. Sure, you've provided food for the last six days. Wonderful, but you know, maybe you'll muck up. And, and it must just be a natural thing, so we'll collect on Sunday as well. God says, actually, no. I'm the one who's providing for you. You can't provide for yourselves. It's not about you doing enough. It's about me being gracious to you. And don't I know that well. I'm sure a few of you will nod your heads in agreement. Oh, if only I can do enough. God's given me the tools. God's given me the manner I need, but I need to work hard at it. And if I do enough, then I'll survive and I'll be strong enough. And in response, God says, actually, it's not so much about you. It's about me loving you. And God says, I'm doing it because I'm testing you. What was the test? I don't think God was saying, I'm testing to see if you're good enough to be my people. They're already his people. He's already saved them. He's already redeemed them. God says, I'm testing you. Why? To see whether you're going to follow my instructions. Why? Because I want to train you. I'm testing you for your own good. testing you for your own good because when you fail the test hopefully it will get through your thick skulls that you need me
what it means to follow me. And doesn't he still do the same for us today? In the trial and the tests of, of our own lives and our own walk with Christ. God doesn't do it to sort of check if we're good enough with him. He does it because he loves us and he wants to discipline us and he wants to grow us and mold us. And, and it's when the difficult times come. It's when, it's when we fall short. I think that we look to Christ the most and when we actually allow him to mold us and change us and grow us. The main reason God sent the manna, says verse 6, so that they would realize it was the Lord who brought them out of the land of Egypt. And this manna continued right up until the moment they stepped into the promised land. It was like a, like a foretaste, literally a foretaste of the promised land. You remember the description of the land? A land flowing with milk and honey. And what, what are we told about the manna? Ooh, it, it, it tasted like honey. Literally a foretaste of the promised land. A, a sign from God to say, hey, I'm taking you there. And some of it is put in this jar and kept for future generations. Why? So that they could look back and say, yes, the Lord is the one who has led us and saved us and kept us and gracious to us. provided for us. John mentioned Jesus speaking about this issue in the book of John, chapter 6. It was right after he's fed the 5,000. He's got into a boat, and I think a boat, and a few people have followed him. And they said, we want some more. And Jesus said, follow me, believe in me, and they said, give us proof. Jesus said that he was the true bread of God who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Chapter 6, verse 25 onwards. And do you know how the crowd responds to Jesus when he says those words? not going to believe it. They grumble. They grumbled in the desert and God gave them bread. God gives them the true bread that brings eternal life and they grumble. And some disciples grumble to the point where they stop following him. Jesus. You see, manna was a promise to the Israelites that they would come into the promised land. A foretaste of that. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And I am the promise that you will be with God. You will enter the rest into which 
these people, the Israelites back then, never entered, says the book of Hebrews. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the only way. I am what you need to survive. Those in the desert couldn't survive without the bread from heaven, but that bread was worthless because those people are all dead, said Jesus. Instead, here is the bread of life. You eat me, you will never die. You belong to me, and you will live forever with me. Just as the manna from God, the grace from God was what they needed to live each day, says Jesus, what you need to live each day and to live forever and to be with me is me. I am the true bread. And you thought God was gracious in the desert? Well, says Jesus, look at me. The Israelites grumbled, and God answers with grace. Why? Because God promised to save His people. we respond well, no. very unsanitarily wise take some have a piece of bread it's not a full communion but sorry John I hope you don't mind us eating your bread I'm the bread of life Graciously given all that we need. What an awesome God we've got. We can rely on Him for everything. Is there anybody we can, can we rely on a fellow man all the time out there? On governments or employers or whatever? We only have to ask God for what we want or need and He supplies all our needs. So we're going to sing a song called Awesome God. And then, after that, 
Um, I, would, I would like us then to um, pray the Lord's, our Lord's Prayer as, as a benediction.